Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading researchers, authors, and clinicians discussing issues in attachment theory. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. Today, Karen concludes her discussion with Adam Pertman, president of the National Center on Adoption and Permanency, on big picture issues in adoption and permanency. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I am Karen Doyle Buckwalter, your host, joining you here from Chaddock to bring you another episode. Today, I am going to be interviewing Adam Pertman. I'm excited to tell you a bit about his background and get to the interview. Let me share a bit with you about what Adam has done um, in the world related to adoption. Um, He is the CEO, founder, and president of the National Center on Adoption and Permanency, a unique nonprofit that provides research, resources, education, training, consulting and advocacy to improve the lives of children's families and the professionals who serve them. The National Center on Adoption and Permanency has the mission to move child welfare policy and practice beyond the traditional child placement model to a new paradigm focusing on enabling children and their families to succeed. Adam Pertman had a long career as a respected journalist before taking this position at the National Center on Adoption and Permanency. And I want to tell you a little bit about that. He has reported on child welfare and was for 20 years a senior reporter and editor with the Boston Globe, where he was nominated for a Pulitzer Prize for his writing on adoption. He had journalism positions at the Globe. His assignments included many things, including the fall of the Berlin Wall, the Philippine Revolution, the first Gulf War, and the Oklahoma City bombing, just to name a few. Adam has delivered hundreds of keynotes, trainings, and other presentations internationally, and his commentaries on families and children have appeared in major print, broadcast, and online publications nationwide and actually worldwide. As a leading expert on family issues, he's widely quoted across media platforms such as in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, and the Washington Post, among others. He's also been a guest on many programs, including Oprah, Today, The View, and Nightline, which ran a segment about him. So I am so excited to be talking with him today. I think that having a journalistic perspective on issues such as adoption, and we'll talk a bit too specifically how that relates to attachment, um, but it gives us a different, bigger picture view of what adoption means in the world. So I am looking forward and stay tuned. He will be coming right up. Thank you to everyone who signed up for the Developmental Trauma and Attachment Institute for July 2022. While registration for this round of classes is closed, we will be opening up registration again soon for January 2023 classes. Head to tkcchaddock.org to sign up for the waiting list and get notified when registration goes live. 
So hello again, Adam. I'm eager to continue our conversation. Uh, I'm so glad to be able to have this time with you. Well, it's really, really good to be back. I, I thought, you know, I think we set some good context. Yes, yes. I want to pick up on several things that we were talking about last time. Um, you you did mention um, current state of adoption across um, infant adoption or private adoption, adoption and child welfare, adoption from um, orphanages and the statistics on that. And in the context of that, you were bringing up some things that I think are so important. and. You mentioned the word microaggressions, and I think some people are not aware of that term as it relates to adoption. And there are a lot of things to consider with that, aren't there? Oh, many, 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 many more than we tend to to think about, you know. It's comparable. I'm going to draw an analogy that's imperfect here, but it, but I think it's fair. Yes. Um, as white people, and I'm guessing that we both are. Um, yes. We are in an era where we're finally starting to understand not so microaggressions, but the aggressions that people of color, um, maybe especially young male, um, encounter every day. Every day, you know, whether it's your car being stopped or you're followed in a store or, you know, it's a broad gamut of stuff and it's there. And most people, you know, survive it and, and thrive but it's still part of what they have to deal with every day. Women for for many, many generations have had, you know, their, their comparable microaggressions. And, you know, we know that it's true. We don't think for certain groups, right? We yes. don't think about it in terms of adoption. And again, I always try to broaden it or child welfare because the kids in the child welfare system the and youth in the child welfare system, it's a big number. It's yeah. a big number um, every year. And they've suffered from small and large um, aggressions and insults and doubts and fears every day for most of their lives. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, it, oh, God, Mary's adopted. Oh, my God. I, I mean, Mary can hear. Um, it, it, the, and, and by the way, they're not just in interpersonal relationships, though they are that. Um, often they're also when you turn on your TV, if you're if you're an adopted person or a child, a person in foster care. I mean, the murderer was adopted <laughs> or yes. and, 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 and by the way, lots of non murderers. I mean, lots of non adopted people are murderers, but nobody says, oh, you know, he was delivered by cesarean section. That's why he's doing this. But if you say the murderer was in foster care all his life. Hey, now you know why I did it. Yes. No, you, no, you do not. Mm -hmm. um, but that those attitudes, the the un, to, in quotes understandings that we have of who these people are, and mm -hmm. again in quotes these people um, affect our behavior. I mean, there are countless examples. I'll give you a couple of easy ones. So for the person here, I'm I'm this um, for the person who adopted an infant, right? And, and yeah. this literally, ha you you cannot believe the things people say in grocery stores. Um, they get, they have, this is pre-COVID um, okay. and post-COVID. Um, I mean, these are literal examples from my own life and many, 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 many others. And almost any adoptive parent will tell comparable stories. 
so we're in a grocery store and it, I, it was uh, Whole Foods <laughs> uh, in my case. Um, and somebody who I didn't know um, looks at my son and we're talking and oh, uh, and, and no secret in my family. Oh, we adopted him three years ago, whatever the case was. Yes. And his response was, oh, you know, it, it was we adopted him because it's important uh, five years ago. Um, oh, what did you pay for him? Well, I didn't pay oh for my, my kid. Goodness. I didn't buy him. Um, you know, we paid for serv legal services and, and social services and all the stuff that comes. And you know what? My child can hear and speaks English. And so microaggression, he never said a word. My parents bought me. My Whatever little doubts that, and they fester, and it did come out later in life. Um, but that stuff is near constant in movies, on TV, in literature, in supermarkets. Um, and if you are a kid of color, especially if you're adopted by white folks, because it's, it's so transparent, it's so clear, you get it all the time. And you get the racial stuff that people of color get um, frequently. Um, yeah. So the mic and, and so all that stuff mounts up. Now, most people, most of these folks, you know, they grow up and we all have issues we deal with. We all uh, have uh, microaggressions and, uh, and negative pieces of our lives that we have to cope with. And we become adults and we become functional and we have our flaws. Yes. But this is something that's the result of ignorance, a lack of education, a lack of training, a lack of understanding. Um, and again, to use, you know, bad analogies, we did the same thing. Look at a movie from 50 years ago with women who only played secretaries or whatever it was. Yeah. I mean, some of the some of the stuff is staggering. Look at divorce uh, a little longer ago. And the conversation was everywhere. We're both old enough. You know, will Johnny be confused and just a whole gamut of stuff. And it was negative. And there were micro progressions and not and some not so subtle um and again in the meat but we normalized it we got it we we started to understand uh, therapists learn about divorce and the impact of divorce and what happens it, it, again i don't have spelled out therapists as a matter of course don't learn this about adoption no well guess what the the birth mother is traumatized and she suffers from aggressions of all sorts and she grieves um a lot, even if it was a completely thought, well-reasoned, thought out, uh, she lost her kid and she may or may not have the relationship with them. So the, and, and, the, the, and there, there are analogies or rather comparable situations for the adoptive parents, for the adoptee. Again, it's, it, life is imperfect. I'm not suggesting everybody understand about every aspect of everybody's life, but institutionally, this adoption foster care reach it, it touches tens of millions of lives we're not talking about this little niche that everybody can't understand we're talking about again and i can do the numbers for you roughly a hundred million people in america have adoption in their immediate family meaning up to but not including first cousins so grandparents grandchildren etc 
that's a lot of folks. We, yes. It, it would behoove us to understand it a little better. Yes. Well, and uh, you alluded to this a little bit, but another space needing understanding is school, you know, teachers, assignments. There can be things there, too, as well. Well, again, it, it, I'm not disparaging therapists in the least. God bless you. Um, but it's it, it's not taught to teachers. It's not taught to doctors. It's not taught to therapists. It's it's not taught. It 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 it, it, it that is partly because of its history of secrecy. I mean, you don't ask questions about secrets, um, but. But the consequences are very real in school. Uh, uh, again, I'm going to use the easiest example on the planet: the the family tree. The family tree. Well, the family tree doesn't reflect my kids' um, realities. It doesn't. They they don't. If if you draw my family tree with my kids, to both of whom were adopted, well, it shows lots of people who they love, but not where they came from. <laughs> Yes. Um, so you turn it into a family orchard. You turn it into their family circles. There are ways you can do this. And by the way, when you do, it's good for kids who are divorced. It's kids who have two gay parents. It's good for people. It's good for all kinds of parents, all, all kinds of families. And it doesn't negate anybody. But that's sort of normal. Um, but and, and, and a microaggression, because that kid, as likely as not, and might not ever say anything, is confused at that point. It's a little, you know, a little teeny trauma. What do I do? Do I love my mommy? I want to put her in here. But it says that it's biology. So I should really put my birth mom in here. I mean, why are we doing that to a six-year-old or eight-year-old, whatever it is? Um, because we haven't thought it through. And, and I can give you 40 more examples in schools, but that's a simple one to hang on to. Uh, or, or the kid who who's acting up in class and you didn't know that he, he was adopted from foster care two years ago. Well, that would be really good for you to know. Yes. Um, and I know you're, there's privacy. I know I, I, I don't tra do trainings in schools. I get all that. But if you don't know something is happening in kids' life, you're not going to understand it. You're not going to be know how to deal with it and help that child. So yeah. a, a bottom line, if I may say, this should be part of the curriculum. It, it doesn't have to be a big integral part. Mm -hmm. Peace a piece uh, because we do talk about families in schools, all kinds of families. Well, this is yeah. one of all kinds of families. Yeah. That would fall under that umbrella of all kinds of families. You know, and I think too, there's, um, as you're speaking, I'm thinking about either seeing adoption as an, uh, a negative thing or, or these comments that you said, you know, Oh, well, you know, he is adopted, you know, that could explain, you know, some of this problem. Then looking on the other end of the continuum, I've, um, I've been on the phone with mental health professionals about a child that maybe is going to come to Chadak and I'll mention they're adopted and they'll say, oh, this... None of the things that they're they're dealing with have anything to do to with do that. With it. It's really not relevant. <laughs> it's really relevant. So um, then we have the other end of the continuum of you know, one end is like overly right. pejorative or negative, and then we go to well, you know, it's not it's not even relevant. That we don't want that either. 
but we we've done we but we've we nurtured that sensibility right because i mean literally again i hope it's nearing an end but i know it's not you know people didn't tell their own kids they were adopted yeah it's all part of the same scenario where it doesn't matter you just you start with a clean slate and you move on from there well it ain't a clean slate and it's and the the thing that we need to get our heads around is it's okay if it's not a clean slate. It's really okay. The reason, the, I think the underlying reason why we sort of pretend it's, it, it, it's not um, is because we think there's one form of, one right way to form a family, it's to give birth, but what, you know, and if we do that, then, you know, nurture is all. And all of us now know <laughs> nurture is not all. Nature is big, 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 big. And if nature plays a significant role, varying in different people, but if nature plays a significant role in shaping who we are, then adoption matters. It simply does, because the, the, where the kid came from matters, and the process of adoption has impact. It's not, you don't drop out of the sky and suddenly you're adopted and, everything, and nothing happened. Um, it happened. And it's okay that it happened, but we have to understand it in order to deal with it. There are identity issues that, that are very real for every adopted person. There are, again, we can go into the details, but it's true for all the parties involved, the, the, the first parents, the birth parents. It, this has real impact for a lifetime on the adoptive parents, many, many of whom, not all, um, are forever grieve their infertility. Well, we in, in the abstract, we understand that grieving your infertility has implications, has, has impact. Well, that's who these parents are. It's what they bring to the table. It's fine, they're imperfect, unlike you and me. We're the perfect ones. But the, so that was a joke. Um, so, <laughs> it, so everybody, of course it has impact. Again, very imperfect analogy, divorce has impact. You don't pretend it doesn't. You don't pretend that, well, now the child lives with the mom and the dad is remarried. And so that's, we start day one, nothing that happened before mattered. Who thinks that? Right. Um, and, and, but we bring that sensibility uh, too often to adoption. You know, as you were talking about, um, you know, maybe not talking about adoption or not telling a child they were adopted or somebody saying, well, the adoption, we don't even really have to visit that. That doesn't matter. It's a little, of course, it's a very different issue, but it reminds me of the, I don't see color tactic. (laughs) Right. If you say it doesn't matter, then it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, And you know, that that's not a helpful way to, to deal with this. (laughs) Well, but in law and policy for a long time, that really was how we dealt with it. it, it Literally, um, it it wasn't illegal, but it was the guidance of the Department of Health and Human Services. Uh, This is a couple, just up until a couple decades ago. It was the guidance that 
it was color neutral. Adoption was color neutral and we, from foster care, that's all they had purview over. But, um, and you, you, you couldn't bring it up. Well, it meant you couldn't train parents, you know, white parents raising black kids who literally couldn't do their kids' hair. And I'm not saying that this, that's just symbolic. It's not the big deal. The big deal is that those kids are gonna grow, your son, I'll use the stereotype here, that your son is gonna get followed by a detective in a department store. You never that never happened to you. Do you yes. think you might get need some education and training to understand so you can teach your son so you can provide the skills so you can provide the understanding? Not pretending color isn't there is is not fruitful and can be really, really harmful. And I don't want to I don't want to take this too far. But the same is true with adoption. I mean, pretending it's not there does no one any favors um, in terms mm-hmm. of attachment or, or in any other aspect. We teach our kids to be honest. We try to teach our kids to be honest. Um, we, we want to tell the truth and then you live with the consequences. That's what we should be doing, nothing more or less. Um, it has negatives, it has positives, and so does everything else in life. Um, yes. but, but this one has such a rich history of secrecy, shame and stigma that we haven't developed all of the the services that supports the, the understanding of how to do that, to do that well. And to your point, how do you deal with the attachment issues, which are just one of the one of a panoply of issues? How do you deal with it if you're pretending it didn't happen? I yes. Mean, where did the trauma come from? Where did the attachment issue come from? If you from nowhere, if you say that it doesn't matter. Yes, 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 exactly. Um, and I think also does not create safety for the child to be able to talk about this. You know, it's, it's almost like you're, there's something wrong with you, but we're not going to give you any context of why you might feel this way or, or they feel there's something wrong. I, I suppose I should say. And, um, not even, and not even necessarily something wrong, but there's something there that's hanging in the air, the kids get that. Yes. And what do kids do? They internalize, they they think they must have done something. Yes, I yes. Mean, that, and that cannot be doing anybody right. any. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, I'm hoping to tackle two more things before we end. And I, I know there's just so much, but the, um, one would be, what you've seen in terms of open and closed adoption and trends with that. I, I was, I, I'm very much thinking of what you said in the first part of our interview about how n- nobody thinks it's strange that there's two households you might be involved with in a divorce situation, but somehow with adoption, it's like, we can't wrap, you know, people can't wrap their head around it. What have you seen with open and closed adoptions over the years of reporting and experiencing this? Well, we know from research, not just from my own experience of reporting, yes. the, um, we, we, there, we, there is research uh, on the subject. So the, the way to understand it is X years ago, and X is not that long, it's in the middle of the 20th century, uh, virtually all adoptions were closed. So that's the starting point. Yes. And by the way, virtually all adoptions were of white babies born to white unwed mothers parented by white heterosexual married people. Jump forward to today, 
roughly 95% of all, and this is from newborns, um, roughly 95% of all new of, of uh, infant private adoptions are open to some extent. So it's not, oh, it's it's from zero to 95. Yeah. So, and it's because it is best practice. That doesn't mean everything works every time. Marriage doesn't work every time. Lots of things don't work every time. But we know what best practice looks like. Yes. And, it, it, and that is creep, not creeping. It's moving well into child welfare adoptions in a real way. It's moving into inter-country adoptions with relationships across borders and across oceans really happening and it's happening because it feels feels right to the people and the outcomes are better i want to and this little piece with something you said that was really important how do you communicate with your child when fill in the blank the single biggest predictor of success of an adoptive family is something called communicative openness Mm -hmm. which means you may or may not have an op quote open adoption to whatever degree with the family of origin but you're open because you talk about it because it's a normal word you don't whisper about it you answer the kids questions and you introduce issues at, in an age-appropriate way so that they feel comfortable in their own skin yes and some of those issues can relate to race if it's a transracial adoption can uh, um, relate to lgbt issues because because that's a big chunk of the adoption world so but communicative openness is the single single biggest predictor from the research. And I think that's really important for people to know, combined with the sort of process openness that is happening everywhere. And that that is the trend. And now it's imperfect. It's not followed by everybody. Uh, it, unfortunately, too often, it's the adopted parents who feel, I think, mostly out of insecurity that, you know, if we don't deal with those folks that mean the fa first family then you know we won't have issues with our kid yes you will <laughs> you yeah. just, she's just not going to tell you stuff um yes so it, it, it but that is but it's distinctly where best practice is concerned to be going and what most people actually do yes yeah i would you you brought it up before i needed to that perhaps um, some of the resistance comes from fears of adoptive parents that will that somehow threaten their I felt it and I, with I us. Get it. Insecurity is a beautiful thing. And when there isn't sort of this widespread normalization, then, you know, the stigmas and the stereotypes are what you've got. Um, and so people think that, oh, my God, if we have this relationship, she'll want to take the baby back. And, you know, the, my son will want to be live with her. Your son is 32. It's going to be all right. Uh, he's not looking for a new mommy and daddy. But I get it. I purely get it. Um, and whoops, that's sorry. I apologize. Um, so, anyway, but but I think those and and by the way, those affect everybody concerned, and they concern. Back to previous question, they certainly affect the teachers. And yes. they affect your doctors. And I've had doctors literally ask me, literally ask me, um, when do you tell your child she's adopted? Why? As a social worker friend of mine likes to say, on the way home. Um, yes. it, it should, it, you know, we keep secrets we're ashamed about things we're ashamed of or embarrassed about. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Your kid will get it. Your kid will, will get that. Well, and so the, the final thing I wanted to touch on with you is um, 
and perhaps, you know, people are, are thinking about it as they've heard the whole interview, but we haven't explicitly said it, that adoption is a lifelong process for all members of the triad or, you know, how, however we want to refer to everyone who's involved. It's, you know, so often I feel like in foster care through, um, in adoption through foster care, it's like, okay, we went to court, the adoptions, the adoptions finalized. Again, getting back to our language about this. That's the legal process. You know, that makes adoption to a snapshot instead of a movie. Yes. You know, marriage isn't just the day you got hitched right um you know it's it, 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 under best of circumstances it lasts you a lifetime and you have to work on it yes into you know for a long time and people go to marriage counselors for a long time not just at the beginning when there's a developmental state it's in their 50s and 60s and they they're going to a marriage counselor because they want they want this to be a successful outcome a, a successful yes it's a fi- fine way to think about it. Now, what we insecure adoptive parents often think is, well, other people don't have to do that. Well, you ain't other people and different circumstances require different solutions and all that's fine. And by the way, lots of people who gave birth to their kids have issues with their children and get ongoing services for which they probably pay um, yes. sometimes through their whole lives. It's okay. Yes. That's what your kid needs. That's what your family needs normalizing means we don't think that that's a bad thing we think the the bad way to think about it is and this is literally true because most kids uh, adopted are from foster care um, yes. there's a disproportionate number of kids from uh, uh, adopted children who are in clinical care and that's often said as a negative uh you know there's so many of them are in clinical care we should have a smile on our face and be proud we love our kid and we're getting them what they need to be successful. Isn't it great? You know, they had early childhood trauma, they had attachment issues, they had done, and they're doing great. Yes. Because because we are providing the care that they need on an ongoing basis, which is what we should be doing, and we should feel proud of of doing so rather than feel embarrassed by it. Yes. Yes. And normalization is the key to think that's that's what you do. Some families you do this, some families you do that, and they're all okay. Mm, yes. Yeah. Well, I know you mentioned some resources on the website as we started out. I want you to take a few minutes, any, any final comments you want to say or any resources you want to direct people to that you think are important, just anything you want to share. Well, there's so many that I, 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 I mean, it's self-serving do it, but I'll do it anyway. Um, Please go do. To our, go to I'm our asking website. you to. <laughs> go to our website, ncap-us.org. And there are resources there and there are books there. And there's, we're doing now a, a video series of uh, interviews with short interviews with NCAP um, team members of what they've learned over the years. Which I, it's great. I've only seen a few of them who are still producing, and those will be there soon. And a lot of research is there, especially from my days uh, heading the, the Donaldson Adoption Institute. So there's a lot of there's a lot there, and I yes. think more than I hope more than anything, what people will get both out of this uh, podcast and if you read the website is come on board the train <laughs> we need if we keep thinking that child placement is the model 
that mm-hmm. we, every time we get a kid into a family, we've, we've succeeded. It, 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 we're we're going to keep reading the same stories that we've been reading all our lives. Every family, every child deserves to have the resources, the ability, um, and this isn't a charity case at all. This is children who have issues, who society and the individuals and the agencies and the, the mental health professionals need to understand that the goal is to help them be successful. That it, it should be overt, it should be uh, straightforward. And again, if you're a professional in the field, then it really matters how you structure what you do with that yes. understanding. But yes. for all of us, it helps us think about these millions of people, these uh, millions of children um, for whom we, it's not that we have a debt in society as much as actually, let me back up and, and end it this way. Most adoptions, because I can talk differently about each of these, most adoptions are from foster care. The state has assumed responsibility, legal responsibility for those children. If the state's responsibility is only to discharge them so they can go somewhere else and go away, then what are we doing mm-hmm. taking the kids away from their families? If the state's responsibility is to keep those kids safe and help them be successful in life, then we need to change a system that enables that to happen. Yes, and I so appreciate how you are working on systemic change and your emphasis on research. We're we're not in the dark about this anymore. We have good information. We have research. We know what's best practice. And more and more, these foster children and persons who are adopted are growing up and telling us themselves. hundred <laughs> percent, right. What, what this has been like and how we could do better. So just really want to thank you uh, for your work in this area and, and for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us. Thank you so much. Um, oh, thank you for having me on. It was great. All right. Thank you and goodbye for now. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchaddock.org, or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts for future episodes. If you enjoy our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please visit tkcchaddock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.